My name's Stephen. I'm a staff pastor here at Northwood Church. And on behalf of our lead pastor, Jordan Ducote, I just want to extend the warmest welcome to you. If you guys are with us for the first time, welcome. If you're watching with us online right now or on TV, welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you don't know, we're one church, multiple locations. We have a location in Wiggins, Mississippi, Long Beach, Mississippi, and here at the Gulfport location. Why don't you give it up for those guests and those people who are watching online for us with us? Yeah, we're in an incredible series right now called Serve Your City. And this is week two. And week two is all about discovering your purpose. And discovering your purpose is one of the four things that we do here at Northwood Church. We want to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. So we're going to talk about discovering purpose today. Uh, So, you know, the interesting thing about purpose is really that everybody has a unique purpose But then at the same time, everybody has like the same purpose. So, you know, I want to kind of address your uniqueness first, because I think it's important that we're okay with the fact that each of us is unique, that you're all individuals. You see, if you look at the person next to you, they might look a little different than you. They might come from a different place than you. They might sound a little different. They might live a little different. But guess what? They're all part of this purpose that God has destined this church to be in. And I want to encourage you to be okay with the fact that your neighbor, neighbor's a little weird. Be okay with that. As a matter of fact, I want you to be okay with the fact that you're a little weird. Did you know that you're all a little weird? I'm a little weird. You're a little weird. It's real. Like everybody's going to find some sort of nuance in somebody, some sort of characteristic in somebody that's just a little weird. It's a little off-putting. But the cool thing about what we're doing here is that it's okay for us to be unique. It's okay for us to be different from one another because God created us that way and he desires that we find unity in that. And as we honor one another and honor God, he's going to do something great through us and in us. You guys believe that? Yeah, so uh, we're going to be reading out of the book 1 Corinthians in your Bibles. If you have your Bibles open uh, here with you, open it up to 1 Corinthians. Um, It's uh, in the New Testament. It's after the Gospels, Acts, Romans, then 1 Corinthians. And uh, maybe you have your YouVersion Bible app on your phone. You're welcome to pull that out. Uh, While you're doing that, I want to give you a little context. 1 Corinthians was a letter that a man named Paul wrote. And uh, what Paul was, was he was a church planter uh, in the time immediately following Jesus. Jesus came, he lived, he went on the cross, he died. He died for your sin, for my sin, lived a perfect life, and then spilled his blood on that cross to cover and pay for our sin. And then he was buried in a tomb. He rose from the tomb three days later and uh, showed himself to all those people that were following him just to prove that he was God. And then he ascended into heaven. But before he did that, he said, look, I've got a plan for you. I want to use you to accomplish some great things on earth. I'm going to send my spirit to be with you as a helper. And you are going to plant churches. You're going to seek and save the lost. You're going to make disciples. and You're going to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Paul was one of these first people that really began to take hold of that that command, that uh, uh, commission that Jesus gave. And he went and started planting churches everywhere. And he planted a church in a city called Corinth. And this letter, Corinthians, was a letter that he wrote to that church. Now, in that letter, really what Paul was doing was he was dealing with a church that was in crisis. Corinthians had a lot of issues. And 
And Paul wanted to help them. He wanted to help them walk through their unique differences. He wanted to help them walk through their weirdness and help them get secure in their identity. So if you pick up with me in chapter 12, uh, verse 12, and Paul says this, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, black or white, male or female, rich or poor, for better or for worse. It's kind of like marriage vows, right? And really it is. He's saying we're unified. If we're part of the body, it's a vow, it's a covenant, it's a commitment. And we were all given one spirit to drink. He says we're unified. No matter how weird or quirky we are, no matter how different we are from the next person, we are all in the spirit even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. He just continues to reiterate. He reiterates it because it's not just like something in the Bible. He's saying this is ultimately part of your identity as a follower of Jesus. This is part of your purpose, being one with the body. Now, the interesting thing is that from day one, there is a fight for your identity. There's a fight for your identity. There's a fight for your identity in this generation right now. But God has a design for your identity, identity, and he intends for you to discover it. Now, this process of discovery, we're all in this process of discovery. And, and I like to think of the process of discovery a little bit like an adventure because I, I, feel like, I feel like that's what it is. It's fun as God's revealing who I am and who he says I am in the context of the church and, and my community. I think it's an, an encourageable uh, an encourage. I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's an incredible, encourage. I'm encouraged and it's incredible. It's, it's all that. I, I try to make up words sometimes um, when I'm you know, trying to make an idea. So that's encourageable. We're going to start using that from now on here at Northwood Church. That'll be in all of our messages, hopefully, from here on out. So uh, I'm encouraged because it's incredible. See, I believe that purpose is a journey, not a destination. Now, I got a text from a young guy this past week. It was a Tuesday, and we were actually in this message prep meeting. Uh, we were preparing this message on purpose, right? And he texts me. Now, what do you think a young guy usually texts his pastor about? He's like, hey, bro, there's this girl. Uh, you would think that, right? Oftentimes, that's what happens. But this young man, instead of asking about that, he asked about this. He said, bro, I'm struggling to understand my purpose, and he said, do you mind giving me some wisdom or some advice? Now, one, I want to just champion that dude because, one, he's asking somebody who's like a mentor in his life for wisdom and advice. And I just want to challenge all you young guys out there to be open to uh, those people that are in your life and, and, and accept some wisdom and advice from them. But number two, I think it's incredible that we're sitting there preparing a message on purpose. And he asks me about purpose when he texts me. I'm in the message prep meeting. I said, bro, come this Sunday. We're going to deal with it. Now, the, the cool thing is, is that when we know that purpose is a journey and not a destination, it, it kind of lightens the load. It, it alleviates some of the pressure, doesn't it? It's okay for us to be in this process of discovering this purpose. But it's also a very real uh, uh, reality that we're noticing when, when I tell you about this text that people are asking this question all the time. What is my purpose? Why do I exist? And we're going to talk about that. Now, if this process of discovering your purpose happens apart from God's leadership in your life, the reality is, is it can lead to a bunch of confusion. And there's confusion all over the world. Confusion has rooted itself in the minds and the hearts of a generation. 
And, and, and we want to see that confusion broken off of people in Jesus' name. And, and I believe that there is an identity crisis right now. There's an identity crisis in America and really all throughout the world. We're not unique in, in this way. It's an identity crisis in humanity. And, and our identity is, is really formed in a variety of different ways. Our identity is formed, I think, one of the biggest ways is through our experiences. Who raised you? What did your parents say to you? What did your parents not say to you? Did your dad compare you to your sibling? Or did your dad wish you were another sex? Or did your, did your mom ignore you when you needed nurturing? All those things shape your identity. Where were you educated? What, what was the worldview of the person who was teaching you? What did they believe about people and about God and about the way you interact with, with life? Then there's, you know, who's mentoring you? Maybe it's just other people in this world, or maybe, maybe you experience some, you know, significant abuse in your life or, or trauma. Those things shape your identity. They can breed confusion in your heart and your mind. Maybe, maybe it was a victory that, that you kind of hung your coat on, and now that's part of your identity, or maybe it's a failure. Something happened in your life, it didn't work out, and now you can't get past it because you feel like a failure and your identity is wrapped up in your failures. Our experiences shape our identity. And then there's our sin nature. You know, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and, and they were making a decision as to whether or not they would live from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or live from the tree of life, and they chose to live from, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil at that moment, they began to view God differently through that tree instead of the tree of life. They began to view themselves and view others through that tree instead of the tree of life. And now we inherited that nature, that tendency, that sin, and that shapes our identity. And then there's the enemy that deceived Adam and Eve in the garden in the first place. He's still deceiving us today. He's still telling us lies. He's still planting things in our hearts and our minds. He's still asking, did God really say that about you? Does God really say that you're fearfully and wonderfully made? Does God really say that you're loved and that he have, you have a place in his kingdom? Does God really say that? And it's affecting our identity. And it manifests in a variety of different ways. It begins to show itself. Some ways seem less significant than others, but I believe are symptomatic of this deep core root issue, this identity crisis. It, it manifests in comparison. Man, there's, there's this whole culture of comparison, and it's so easy on social media. We're looking at everybody and comparing our lives, and we're saying, man, I wish I could be like that. Oh, man, man, they wish they could be like this. You know, and, and we're comparing and it's unhealthy. And then there's the whole, you know, what I wear. Like, honestly, you know, I, I want to look nice. I want to dress the part. I want to I present myself well. But man, sometimes, you know, I can, if I don't have the right thing to wear, sometimes I can start to, man, am I going to fit in in that setting? Am I going to, my little girl, Sayla, she's not even five years old. She comes out of her room most days and she says, Daddy, doesn't this dress make me look beautiful? She's, she's kind of identifying with her clothes in regards to her identity. I say, I'm going to take that moment right here and right now. I'm going to say, no, baby, that dress does not make you look beautiful. You make that dress look beautiful. But let me tell you something else. Your beauty is not found in how you dress. You're beautiful because you're made in the image of God. And we're shaping her identity. But some of us don't have that. Some of us weren't told that. And there's confusion. There's insecurity. We try to fit in. Some of you have come to this church and you think you need to try to fit in. Or some of you have been in this church and maybe you found your spot in the church. Maybe you found your set, your clique, or, or the place where you feel safety. But now 
You're in the community, and as the church, you're trying to fit in. When the Bible says we should be a little weird, actually, in the community. The Bible says we should be a touch peculiar, just a little different. Just a little different. And we're trying to fit in. And then we're pretending that things are good and that we have it all together. And we look for belonging, and we don't find it. And then sometimes when we don't find it, we retreat. We retreat from relationship. We retreat from the body of Christ. Or, or we do the opposite. I, I have a tendency to do this. We overcompensate. And we, and we kind of, you know, pretend that we got it all together. And maybe we do have it all together. Maybe things are popping. And we, and we begin to identify with what we're producing. And, and we adopt an unhealthy model of success. And ultimately, we give our lives to the wrong thing. We should be asking ourselves with what and whom should I identify with? Should I be identifying with my, my profession? Why every time do I introduce myself, what, what happens? Hi, I'm Stephen. What's your name? Oh, uh, hi, John. Nice to meet you. What do you do? Why do we ask that question immediately following getting someone's name? Why didn't we ask about the family? Why didn't we ask about what drives them? What motivates them? No, what do you do? Why? Because we identify with profession before most other things. There's a overarching confusion in regards to sexuality in this generation. There's literally terms like gender confusion right now that, that we have to wrestle through because it's becoming more and more prevalent. And it's an identity crisis. And it's not just in the world. It's even in the church. And it's not just about these big issues. It's even about these most elementary foundational issues like where do I belong in the body of Christ? The church has to ask that. You know, the church at Corinth wasn't identifying with the body, wasn't identifying with Christ. And, and, and Paul began to confront this in verse 15. He says, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. He says, hey, just because you don't think that you are part of something that God intended for you to be part of, just because you don't identify with that doesn't mean that's not who you are. Doesn't mean that's not who you were created to be. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body, would it? No. And he corrects their thinking. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And he says, I'm not concerned with what the world's telling you. I'm not concerned with the lies of the enemy. I'm concerned with what God says. I'm concerned with what, what I'm sharing with you right now. And this is what you need to know. Not only are you part of the body of Christ, assuming you've chosen to follow Christ, not only are you a party, part of the body of Christ, but you have a, an indispensable role just like the nose is required for, for, for smelling, just like the mouth is required for, for communicating and the lungs for breathing, you have an indispensable role. And you need to accept that and continue to move in that. But we have these thoughts that we struggle with because we come from a broken and fragmented experience. Many of our lives are in pieces. Many of our lives are in pieces and we can't figure out how to put it to back together. We feel like our life is a 5,000 piece puzzle and we have no box top to look at 
and you're just sifting through the pictures and it's like there's 372 sky pieces and they're all different, but they're all the same and I don't know how to make it work, right? And then as the body of Christ, that's our individual experience, we're all a bunch of different puzzle pieces, each uniquely created, each with its own cut, each with its own color and texture and variety, and together we're supposed to fit together like this beautiful puzzle, but we can't see the big picture. And we, and we are left with this question, who am I? Why do I exist? What's my purpose? Because we can't see the big picture. Well, we want to put some of those puzzle pieces together today, and, and ultimately we desire to do that in our lives. But the challenge is, is that we only see the pieces. The exciting thing is that while we see the pieces, God sees the picture on the box top. God sees the big picture, and God orders all the pieces to be arranged as he desires. And every piece matters and every piece is valued and every piece is part of making the big picture. Every one of you. And even in your own personal life, some of these things that you would consider broken and fragmented pieces, they contribute to making you who you are. And God's got something for you, even in the wrecked life that you've come out of, even in the, the wreckage of your decisions or the wreckage of someone else's decisions. God wants to put that together so that you can see the big picture that he has for your life as an individual. You know, in a, the Bible, Paul wrote another letter to another church at Ephesus, and it was a book called Ephesians, and he wrote, you're God's masterpiece. God created you anew in Christ Jesus. Isn't that incredible? He says, you're a masterpiece. And you're like, no, I'm broken and fragmented and, and life is a mess. And, and, or here we are in the church and we can't get along or we can't figure out how to take ground together and work together so that we can create this big picture that, that God has for us. And he said, well, don't worry about that. That's a journey. But I want you to know you're a masterpiece and you're created anew in Christ Jesus. Now, I think that's incredible. I think that's incredible because, again, it alleviates pressure for us. We're not defined by what we do. We're defined by what Christ has done. We're not defined by our level of success. We're not defined by our level of competency or our, our ability to get along in certain circles. We're defined by the fact that we are a new creation in Christ and that we are masterpieces. Let that settle in your heart for a second. Own that. Say it. I'm a masterpiece. I'm new in Christ. That's your identity. But it doesn't stop there. In that second part of that verse, he says, why were you created anew in Christ as a masterpiece? So that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Last week, our lead pastor, Jordan Ducote, preached an incredible message on God's heart for humanity. That's how we opened up our Serve Your City series. And if you didn't get to watch that, I want to encourage you to go back and watch it. If you're watching on Facebook, you can take a look at last week's Facebook. Uh, you can go to northwood.tv and find services there. Watch that. But in that service, uh, Pastor Jordan, he, he talked about this idea that God graces people. God graces people. And grace is ultimately this thing that, that leads to salvation and, it's, and, and then beyond salvation, grace also equips us or empowers us to accomplish God's will for our lives. And he talked about how grace takes us out of sin and helps us overcome sin on a regular basis so that we can then go and help others overcome their sin. And, and I just think that, that that's our reality 
on, on a broad level that God healed us so that we could help bring healing to others. That God, that God has restored us so that we can bring re restoration to others. That God has saved us so that we can bring salvation to others. We've got to re-anchor in the identity that God has loved us so that we can love others. As a matter of fact, we're loved by God to love God and to love and serve others. Did you know that? You're loved by God so that you can first love him back, but then you can go and do those good deeds that were destined for you since before the foundations of the earth, since before your mama knew your name. He knew that he had good deeds that he wanted you, this beautiful masterpiece created anew in Christ, to accomplish, and he was going to grace you to accomplish that. Verse 19, verse 18 says, but in fact, God, and I want to stop right there. This is not Pastor Stephen and his opinion. It's not Pastor Jordan. It's not any one of our other staff pastors. It's not a Northwood Church thing. This is not an organized religion thing. This is a God thing. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be just as diverse as we all are, just as unique and maybe even sometimes quirky or a little weird, he placed you. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. You know, this is the heart of Jesus. You know, he gathered a diverse group of people, didn't he? You ever read the Bible? When you read the Bible and you read in the gospel message, you see that, that Jesus gathered a ragtag crew. He had a bunch of hooligans. He had some guys that, that weren't really, you know, acceptable. Matter of fact, think about Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Now, this guy, he was, he was a bit of a hustler, okay? He was, he was wealthy, but he was wealthy at other people's expense. So the majority of the middle class and the lower class really didn't like him, you know? He was getting rich off everybody else. Jesus called him. Then you got Judas. What do we say about Judas? Man, Judas is horrible. That dude's treacherous. He got what he deserved, didn't he? Yeah, but guess what? Jesus gave him an opportunity. Jesus said, you have an opportunity to follow me. And you know what? Jesus knew, because he's God, he knew that Judas was going to betray him for just a few pieces of silver, and he still gave him an opportunity. Now, we know Judas's outcome. He wound up hanging in a tree because he chose something other than Christ. He chose something other than following Jesus. But we can't sit here discounting ourselves or discounting that guy, that neighbor of yours who happens to be the worst of the worst. Oh, he's a Judas. No, man, me, apart from Christ, I might've betrayed Jesus for less. And maybe you would have too. But Jesus chose the worst of the worst, the least of these even, and gives us all an opportunity. Then there's Peter. Peter's a clown, isn't he? He's a fisherman. That's not what makes him a clown. I love fishermen. What makes him a clown is the fact that, that he's just a mess, right? He's just a hot mess. He's like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. I got this. I'm going to get it together. I'm going to make it work. And then all of a sudden, he's denying Jesus three times, the third time in front of a little girl, <laughs> you know? He, oh, I'm not with him. I'm not with him. And she's like, aren't you with him? And she's, no, no. He's tripping because this little girl's confronting him. And Jesus says what? He comes back around to Peter. He says, I know you deny me three times. And maybe <laughs> kind of cracked a little left. <laughs> She even denied me in front of that little girl, bro, but I'm going to give you another chance. Why? Because I want you to feed my sheep. 
I want you to be the rock that I build my church on. I don't care how imperfect you are. I don't care how jacked up you are. I don't care that you can't follow instructions. I'm going to build my church on you. And Jesus is saying the same thing to this ragtag crew right here. He's going to build this church on you if you'll allow him to. People from all walks of life. And he's saying, I want you to wash one another's feet just like he did. I want you to seek and save the lost. I want you to serve the least of these. I want you to love your neighbor. He's calling you. Will you say yes? This is ultimately about serving others in the end. I mean, serving others and serving alongside of others. And Paul looks a little more closely at that in verse 21. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker. Anybody feel a little weak in here today? Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker, they are indispensable. And the part that we think are less honorable, we should treat them with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. See, that's funny because sometimes we get it backwards. We tend to look at the honorable parts of the body and treat them with special honor versus those who might be a little less presentable. God help us with that. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body so that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So we serve others by honoring them and esteeming them more highly and serving them so that in their weakness, they feel honor and support. You know, I used to be a personal trainer and uh, I, I developed a reputation uh, for helping people get over injuries. So I started to receive a lot of clients that would come in with like just injuries and be all broken up, right? And uh, oh, my back, oh, my knee, oh, my knee and my back, you know? And, and so we, we worked through it. Some of y'all are like, yeah, that's me right now. I need to holler at you after service. So I would help these people, one, you know, kind of measure where is this issue coming from? And then two, how do we get over it? And what we usually found, nine times out of ten, is that the place where they were feeling the pain, it was actually not the origin of the pain. It wasn't the origin of the problem. It was symptomatic. It was radiating from this other place because what was happening was the injury in their foot or the injury in their angle, ankle caused them to overcompensate. So this other body part had to cause, had to, to rise up and begin to carry more of a load, and it began to come under some stress too. Now, that's awesome that the body will overcompensate and help to carry the load of another body part. That's what the body of Christ does. When something's broken, when someone's broken, when someone's hurt, another body part will carry that load. And we praise God for that, and that's part of our purpose. That's part of our role. But then at the same time, our goal is to not just stay broken. It's to help people be healed so that they can be a contributor in the body of Christ so that they can be healed. So when that other body part starts hurting because it's carrying that load too much, another body part comes in or we actually look to bring healing to the root cause and the body gets healthy as a whole. We've got a little video that we want to share with you that I think will help illustrate this further. If you don't mind guys playing that, that video. I grew up in church, to be honest with you, and I feel like I always knew what was right. And 
I finally, February 14th, I remember accepting Christ, the pastor that um, was teaching me at the time. He was praying and, and he looked at me and said, you know, he's like, next year you're going to get married. He's like, you're going to move to a brick house and it's going to have blue shutters. And I wasn't really sure, you know, honestly, what to think of it. I was in the military. I joined the Air National Guard and I lived a couple of hours away from my base in my home and I was on my way home and there's a car in front of me and that car had to throw on brakes really quickly so that he would not hit the car accident in front of him. And I pulled over to get some coffee so I could wake up because I didn't want to end up like the guy I just saw on the side of the road with the red car. He asked if I could give him a ride, and I was like, to this day, I remember thinking like, what in the world? Why did I even tell him yes? Six months later, I am packing up and moving to Mississippi, 700 miles away to Brick House with Blue Shutters. February 2008, I woke up that morning. I remember telling him goodbye, went to work, and I felt in my heart all day long. I was like, I need to talk to Ken. I remember calling him maybe at 10. I called him again at 12. Finally, a nurse answered the telephone, and I could hear her speaking to the doctor in the background saying, hey, it's his wife. The doctor gets on the phone, and, and he said, you need to get your family and come here as soon as you can. I said, well, is he all right? I probably asked at least three times before he told me no. That he's not. That he's gone. But I remember, you know, really just yelling out to the Lord and saying, like, why? And then finally I was like, okay, if this is how it's going to be, then, you know, I'll need you to take care of me and the boys. People from all over the church, they really, they were a big, big, big support to me. I learned from Angela coming, having sat with me and telling me it's okay to be tired. From Charlotte saying, hey, it's okay for you to hold your head up. Or Pastor Mike coming over and just get, saying high five. You know, all those are just moments of acknowledgement. And I remember how good it made me feel when they would acknowledge me. And so in that, I also realized, it's like, you know, the very thing that I am searching for there are other people that feel that same way. So don't be so focused on what you're not getting. Instead, focus on what you can do for other people who feel the same way and help pull them out. There have been a number of those pivotal points where I realized that I wasn't by myself and that I had purpose. I feel like I'm surrounded by an army. I don't feel like I'm by myself. I feel like I am just a, yeah, like a member of a, of a family. That's incredible. <laughs> member of another family. Tiffany, wherever you're at, thank you so much for sharing your story. You are an incredible woman. Uh, since I've known you, you've been bold and courageous, and you are helping a lot of women. And, uh, man, I just want to champion you. Thank you so much for being who you are. You know, in that video, we saw a woman who at one point in her life was broken and life was in a bunch of pieces, was fragmented, was a lot of pain. And what happened? The body started to compensate. The body came to her and wrapped their arms around her and built her up. And now she's whole and healed and healthy. And she's doing the same thing for others in this church. And that's what God desires from you. That's our purpose, that's foundational in your identity. And I wanna give you a couple places where you can be part of that process. One, uh, we do small groups here at Northwood Church. Uh, small groups are, uh, for me, they, they were life-changing. 
Uh, I got in a small group 10 years ago at Northwood Church. I was discipled. I was trained. I was challenged. I, was, I have relationships. I have friends uh, that were different than the friends I used to run with that, that could help me uh, see through the mess of life. And we're in some incredible small groups right now, actually, Serve Your City small groups, which are so cool because what we're doing is on Sunday mornings, we're preaching uh, uh, an idea like today's Discover Your Purpose. Well, we're going to, throughout the week, be in Serve Your City small groups where we unpack this idea of discovering your purpose more. And we're going to do that through the end of November. And uh, man, if you're not part of a small group right now, I think there's some vacancies in some small groups still. I think every single one of you should be in a small group. If you're a man in this room right now, I just want you to imagine I'm standing in your face, nose to nose. Bruh, get in a small group. Get in a small group, homie. Look, I'm telling you, it'll change your life. You need these kind of men around you. If you're a woman, I'm not quite as close. <laughs> Leaving room for Jesus. I might come a little more delicately. I want to encourage you. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. There might even be some, uh, you know, uh, mixed small groups where uh, husband and wife can be in a small group with other husbands and wives and, and begin to work through this idea of purpose and identity and learn what it means to be part of the, the kingdom call that God has on your life to serve your neighbor by serving your city. Get in a small group. And if, if you're like, hey, I've been in small groups and you know what? I'm kind of above that. I've, I've, I've been there, done that. Well then, hey there, buster. Lead a small group, all right? Just check your attitude at the door before you sign up to do that. But we need you. Small groups are a big deal. And then there's teams. We do teams here at the church, and uh, we have teams running right now. Our kids' ministry runs about 300-plus volunteers just to be able to serve your kids so that you can sit in here and listen to this amazing preaching. <laughs> That's not in my notes, and I repent. <laughs> but there's teams that you can get on where you can serve one another and serve the community that's coming into this church because we don't, we're not just an internal church. We're an externally focused church, and people are coming out of the community all day, every day, looking for refuge in a place like this. And we have teams that are set up to where you can serve alongside of people and to where you can serve people. And you should be part of a team if you're here at Northwood Church. As a matter of fact, we're going to let you know about Next Steps class that's coming up next week uh, at the end of this service. And I want you, if you haven't been through Next Steps, and if you don't serve on a team, go on, get your calendar out right now. Put it on there. I'm doing Next Steps class next week. But this question of who am I really does matter still. I don't want to strip away your personal identity for the sake of the greater body. While there are some realities that we're missing the, the, the bigger picture, it does still matter who you are. That what gifts God's given you? What's in your heart? What are your passions? What are the abilities that God's given you? What drives you? What motivates you? What is your personality? What are your experiences? We want to help you unpack that as a church. As a matter of fact, as you walk through community with people, that will continue to unfold. But know you're a puzzle piece in God's big picture, unique and necessary. And when you understand who you are, you understand your worth and value. It's who Paul says you are in verse 27. He says, you're the body of Christ. And each one of you, a part of it. Pretty simple, isn't it? Talk about purpose and identity. He just boiled it all down. Now, we'll continue this talk in small groups tonight, but I want to let you know that that conversation about who you are does matter a bit less than this next question. 
Whose am I? Instead of asking, why do I exist? Ask for who do I exist? See, because I believe if you were convinced that you are a son or daughter of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of all heaven and earth, that he he knit you together, but not only did he create you, but he wants to know you and he wants to have relationship with you and he wants you to sit down at his table and break bread. He wants to have fellowship, communion with you and the rest of the body of Christ. If you understood that, then you would be secure in your identity and you would be asking a little less about what is my purpose? Especially apart from Christ, I think when we're apart from Christ, we're struggling with this reality. Am I a son or daughter? What what does that even mean? But when you have Christ, he seals your sonship or your daughtership on your heart and you begin to look at him as father, not just God. While he's still God, to be feared and honored and respected, his favorite attribute of himself is father. And he loves to call you son and daughter. And that's your identity. That's your purpose. Now, when you know who you are in Christ, that security in your identity, it begins to shine from within like a lighthouse. Remember, beloved by God, I'm secure in that identity. Love God, that's just an overflow of being loved by God. Right? I'm secure in that identity, but now with this light shining in me like a lighthouse, I'm lighting up the world around me. And there are vessels, sea, uh, ships lost at sea in, in, in waves that are just crashing down on them. And it's chaotic in their lives and they're looking for safe harbor and they're looking for that lighthouse and you're called to be that lighthouse. You're called to be that that place that beacons them and says, come this way, come off those seas, find safe harbor in this place. As a matter of fact, there's an inn on the cliff and I want you to find rest there. Come rest your weary soul so that you can come be part of this thing that God is doing. Will you be a lighthouse? Matthew is a historical document. It's one of the four gospels and Matthew records the account of Jesus and in it he records Jesus saying to his disciples, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. We don't hide our light. We're not gonna hide our light anymore. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You want to know what your purpose is, Northwood? You want to know what your purpose is? Glorify God. Point others to God. That's your purpose. All the details, all the little intricacies, all the stuff that you're trying to figure out, I guarantee you, if you'll sink your life into this, Those things will work themselves out. I'm not suggesting that all your purpose is wrapped up within these four walls. What I am suggesting is that when you live life in these four walls with this body of people, God will expand your heart and your vision for life and you will discover that more detailed, unique purpose for your life. But you have got to start with this is your foundation. Do you believe that? If you believe that, join me in prayer. Join me in prayer right now. There's some people that are in this room and those of us that already believe this, you're praying with me. There's some people that are in this room and you've yet to call Jesus Lord. You've yet to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. And right now I want to make it very simple for you. Jesus wants to be your Lord and he wants to 
you to confess that with your mouth. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I do believe that there's worth and value and, 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 and you draw a line in the sand when you do make it public, but at the same time, it's not necessary. You know what's necessary? That you acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And when you say that, whether you say it verbally or you say it in your heart, you say, Jesus, you are Lord. He'll not only be your Lord, but he'll make himself your savior. He'll save you from the brokenness of your life. He'll save you from your sin, from your mistakes. He'll heal you. He'll restore your life. He'll bring you out of death and into life, out of darkness and into his glorious light. And all you have to say, Jesus, you're Lord. So right now, if that's you, say, Jesus, you're Lord. I surrender to you. I submit to you. I lay my life down. And I pick up all that you have for me. Make me a vessel. Make me an offering. I want to live for you. Give me your spirit. Seal on my heart my identity that I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the King of Kings. Make me believe that, God. Give me revelation. Reveal your love for me, to me in this place right now. And I say yes to it all in Jesus' name. For the rest of us, let's pray that God will continue to stir in us this passion, will continue to stir in us a heart to serve our cities. God, we need you. We need you to keep us focused, to keep us from being distracted from the things that have taken our attention from you and from others. We ask for forgiveness right now. We repent for allowing ourselves to be distracted. But then, God, we, we move forward in confidence and courage and secure in our identity that you've forgiven us and that you have a calling on our lives and we are ready to say yes today. And we'll say yes with every other opportunity that you give us. We say yes to people. We say yes to differences and diversity. We say yes to, to reaching into people's brokenness and their fragmented lives and, and, and helping to show them the box top that you've shown us so that we can help to people to put the pieces of their life back together. God, unify this church. We're asking for unity in your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, let's give it up for God right now. He is worthy of our praise. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.